keeping an eye on what's happening in your backyard, it's back to On the Beat with Carl Stutzman. And welcome to On the Beat on Heart 1340 AM, 101.9 FM. Uh, Carl Stutzman here. Good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. And a story that I've been very much looking forward to getting to tell and talk about uh, this week and was surprised to hear at the beginning of the week. Uh, if you didn't catch it, our you know partners over in the Elkhart Truth had a story early in the week that unbeknownst to most of us, uh, a very well-known store owner in Goshen that existed for a very long time secretly helped a good number of people escape Germany during World War II and uh, during the uh, worst of the times as, as the Nazis were coming into power. It's 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 an amazing, powerful story. It's all being told in a documentary. And that documentary is, uh, you know, being produced and a large portion of its content comes directly from uh, one of the family members, the, the great grandson of the original owner. And I didn't realize that it was someone that I've known for the last two years and, and run into randomly on the street and have talked to before. So, Steve Gruber, it's good to have you on the show. I, I your your family story just absolutely caught me off guard. It's so amazing. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, it was a project of Five Core Media, which is the digital arm of Goshen College and me. Um, we were originally going to do like a ten or twelve minute segment just on the family. My grandfather and great-grandfather last name was plout and they owned plout's dry goods in goshen they also had relatives in germany and having visited them there um, a few times before the war um, especially my grandfather thought something horrible is about to happen Um, and that was 1937 so two years before poland was invaded um, and four years before the united states uh, declared war on japan so it's an interesting story that was really suppressed by my family for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, it, I the going back even before that a little bit, the, the connection there is that German Jewish immigrants, that's that's your family's background. But that, that's right. how, that's where the Plouts came to the United States um, as Jewish German immigrants well before um, Nazism took its hold, took its stronghold. So so they came to the United States at a time when coming to the U.S. was super easy you yeah. could just you could just hop on a boat and go yeah as long as you you know didn't have syphilis or lice or you know the, yeah, yeah. ellis island they they changed their screening but basically if you came here and didn't get arrested um you you know eventually you could become a citizen just by working here um and that has changed so much uh, over the last couple of decades in the united states a very different story i think if my great-grandfather had tried to come in like 1999 or something, it, it would have been a different experience for him. Yeah, it, so it, the story... As as the documentary, which thank you for sharing with me, kind of ahead of every ahead of the official release, I very much appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the story walks through the family's background and coming to the United States and starting a small business. Um, and there are a lot of cultural aspects to that as well. Uh, you know, being Jewish, coming from Europe, that starting a store, opening a business, uh, going into business for yourself and trying to make a life that way was just very natural because that's the environment that they they grew up in in, in Germany. And going to Goshen, which I know as a Stutzman, whose family is entirely from Elkhart County, it's, it's a heavy German population that was in this area at the time. It was just a natural transition. Right. Right. 
Um, Goshen did have a, a small Jewish population. It was mostly German background um, at the turn of the century. So um, my great-grandfather came first to uh, Harlem and learned English and became a garment worker. Then he was a peddler, a traveling peddler, and he eventually found a distant cousin in Covington, Indiana, which is just south of Lafayette. And so he kind of apprenticed in that store, then became an equity partner, but he really learned. Um, they were a small uh, county seat, and they learned you couldn't have Sabbath here in a market town where people came to town on Saturday to trade. So I think that was the first thing. Even though he was German and Jewish, he had to... He, I think he struggled with having to give up Sabbath, which typically was Saturday. So, uh, it, you know, uh, Plouts obviously was around Goshen for a very long time. Can I ask what what do you remember of the store? Like it, when when you think about when you think about the business and and your grandfather and the stories you heard about your great grandfather, what what do you usually think about? Well, I think about going there, um, you know, as a kid. My grandpa died when I was 32, so I knew him uh, more than half of my adult life. And um, he he had an office in the very back of the store, so sometimes we come in the back. He was always very formal. He always wore a suit and tie, um, as his father had. <clears throat> the store itself had been renovated a couple times, but as a little kid, I remember there's a there's still a black and white marble mosaic that spells out Plout with this really cool Art Deco kind of design, and that's at the entry where you come in, and then all of the black marble uh, tiles that were used. I mean, I always loved architecture, so I always used to love to see the cool things in that store. We would we were given the frame. We could play in the store when we were little. We played in the basement. Um, I remember my grandpa playing cribbage in the basement. Sometimes he would play poker, and there'd be betting. So once in a while, you'd hear something off color come up the stairs, and you know <laughs> one of the ladies at the store would shut the door. Um, but I remember that, a, like a lot of people, he was formal in appearance. Uh, but he understood kids. He let us run around. I mean, within reason. Uh, he let me kind of quote unquote sell at the store when I was little and and greet customers. So I, you know, the store was around till 1991. It was there 85 years, and I, you know, I have great memories of it. Uh, a big part of the story, I think, is. Um the generational aspect of it your grandfather was born in 1906 um that's pre-world war one that's you know pre-kaiser in germany mm-hmm. you know that is pre-depression i mean your, your your grandfather grew up in his in his most formative years as a teenager was you know surviving the depression and then you know the war happens and there's a lot of things that he experienced in his lifetime but it's the silent generation you know we we use that phrase a lot and as i as i was listening to the story i th- i thought about that because you know the idea that a family in goshen could be and and we'll go into more detail on this in in just a little bit but could be reaching out across the world and and helping people and saving people just out of well i mean just out of the uh just out of the grace of their own goodness is pretty incredible yeah, I, they definitely had a network. You know, uh, my great grandfather came here in 1883. He went back several times. He became a citizen in 1905, and he then began sponsoring Jews to come here. And it was the idea of freedom, of self determination, the the freedom to do what you want, to marry who you want, um, in this country that he really wanted to share. Um, it, 
it, it was there was a natural network among his friends and relatives in Germany and having spent centuries, his family in Germany, uh, there were people they could keep in touch with. But as the war drew closer and then certainly after it broke out, there was almost no communication and they had to start all over. Um, so it, it, both those guys, my grandfather and my great grandfather were very tenacious in many ways, not just in this effort. In, um, in, remembering things that your grandfather has told you over the years is is this a story that you knew about at a young age did you know that this was something that was happening within the family well it it really was never talked about um it it was an accident how i even found out about it is i was upstairs in my grandparents house and i heard this very effusive um lady with a thick german accent you know saying you know happy new year and and I came downstairs and I said to my grandma, I said, who was that? She said, that was Betty Lowenstein. You know, she always brings us something for New Year, which is Rosh Hashanah. Well, I, first of all, I was like, do they? I didn't know my grandparents observed it. They didn't. But then I said, well, who was she? And my mom then said, well, Betty and her husband were early sponsored. They came to Goshen in 1938, just ahead of the Holocaust. Um, so I started asking my grandpa questions as a teenager, and it was very hard to get him to talk about it um it was what really kind of cracked this open is that i i did hear as he got older and i became an adult and i would sit down maybe have a drink with him he would be a little more forthcoming about the details that they had uh, sponsored 28 Um, at that time the state department wouldn't allow anybody to sponsor more than 14 individuals as an individual so it didn't matter if you were rockefeller or who you were that was the limit and they took that and i knew that early from my questioning but the big story that really blew my mind my grandpa was in his mid-80s and he told me that he and my grandmother had gone on a an extended uh delayed honeymoon mm-hmm. in italy germany and he told me the story of their being on this train and he'd seen SS officers at the station and he knew they were going to have their passports checked but he was really given the shakedown by this SS officer who didn't believe he was American. He thought he was a German Jew returning from Switzerland uh, having deposited his wealth and my grandmother finally talked to the guy and the guy spoke a little English. She showed him her coat lining you know from Indiana and her checkbook and I guess he finally believed her but my grandpa said Stevie that guard looked at me as if I was a piece of maggot-riddled rotted meat. The hate that he saw um, and and the powerlessness, like who would you call if you were pulled off the train? Yeah. And then all of the um, signs in German towns declaring they were Judenfrei, they were free of Jews. And then getting to Frankfurt and Hamburg and seeing uh, the Nazi machine and what they were denying um, citizens, even at that point, most that was the year that Jewish children could no longer go to German schools, mm-hmm. um, that many Jewish trades were forbidden, um, and they were seeing the beginning of that. But my grandpa's relatives were s- sort of like, well, we've seen it before. It was there. You know, we've heard about how bad things were in Russia. You know, they do this every once in a while. At least we've still got, you know, the house or whatever. And my grandfather was insistent. And as soon as he got back, he and my great-grandfather got a couple of attorneys and relationships with some steamship lines and I'm sure bribed to begin sponsoring visas for people. 
I think that's a, a good spot here to take a break. That's the teaser. Uh, we'll dive more into the story as far as uh, the details on how they were able to help people get to the United States here in just a minute. I'll be back in about 60 seconds on the beat on the Heart 1340 AM 101.9 FM. of Elkhart. This is On the Beat with Carl Stutzman. And back at it here on the Beat on the Heart 1340 AM 1019FM. Carl Stutzman, Steve Gruber, as we are telling the story of the Plouts. Plouts Dry Goods in Goshen is one that a lot of you probably remember. And there's an amazing story behind it as the family, unbeknownst to many, including those in the family, uh, actually helped bring and uh, rescue. I don't know if rescue is is quite the word for it, but helped a lot of a, a good group of, of German Jews get out of Germany while they still could and before the Holocaust happened. And it's an incredible story. There is a documentary that is coming out here in cooperation with uh, Goshen College. And also, uh, you know, Steve is is a big part of that, too. So we left it off and your grandparents took an extended honeymoon in Europe mm-hmm. um, and it was a delayed honeymoon in Europe. And during that, they saw what was happening. And it was it wasn't just Germany. It was also Italy. There was a lot of anti-Jewish. There was, you know, the anti-Semitism was was just abound at that point. And they got to experience it firsthand. They came back to the United States. He got a couple of lawyers. And your great-grandfather had been sponsoring Jews to come to the United States since the late 1800s when he could. But suddenly now the effort became something that was a little bit more of an urgent need. What what happened next from there? Well, um, the State Department had a requirement that you had to put up a surety bond. At that time, it was for $2,500 for each adult. That's like fifty or $60,000 today. So they had to uh, liquidate a lot of ca- capital. We found some uh, stocks that were sold, uh, cash. But you also had to prove that you had the capacity because you couldn't just sponsor Carl Stutzman. You had to guarantee him housing and work and income in perpetuity. If you became a citizen and became his own man, that's great. But that that was what they were dealing with. Is they suddenly had to figure out the resources for relocating 28 people, some of whom they didn't know. And most of them got to Goshen somehow, some way. And then they were referred on. Um, they were hired in a couple at Klein's department store, Harlan's dress shop there was a guy who had had been a cattle dealer and so he was hooked up with some folks in millersburg that wanted to show uh sell so it was it was not just relocating they had to think ahead as okay once they're here we have got to give them the best life so my, my great-grandfather lied and he said he had a 10-bedroom house and <laughs> you know so you could see some of the things that were on these applications that were stretching the truth they certainly had i think the cash to make sure everybody was taken care of but um i think that what i learned most was the difficulties they had um and the barriers that were thrown up the united states would take almost no german aliens very very few people of any nationality came through uh in the early 40s so um i'd say about half of those who were saved came through cuba because of Cuban visas. And then they put huge restrictions on and they stopped taking uh, aliens. So uh, it, 
I think the frustration, and at that time, you know, you couldn't just go online and check the status of your application. You know, it, it could be that your embassy was burned, your consulate, the the German consulate moved from Berlin to Stuttgart to, whoops, nothing. It's not there anymore. And so, yeah. yeah so the, your, your ability to get any clear information about who had maybe been taken, um, you know, it it's just it took it's a total of nine years from the time they decided to do this till the last immigrant came what what was that what years was that time 1937 to 1946 wow that is so pretty much from you know uh what four years before the united states involvement in the war until the very end right and there were uh two couples that came to goshen in 1938 uh one cousin of my great-grandfather who came in 1939 and then nothing until 1945 and 46 well and one other part of the documentary to be clear about is that your family did lose members during the holocaust that's right and not everyone that you brought over brought back was family right um they tried first to get family um one of my grandfather's uncles um, and two aunts and several cousins uh, my sister found on roots.web i mean it was it was heartbreaking the number of plouts and then we had to see who were directly related to my line of that and you know so my grandfather again he didn't know he'd lost them until about 1946 or even 47 um because the relief agencies red cross and everybody who came in after the war they were scattered and um stretched thin uh and and information you know was was really hard to get but yeah it was and that's i think the number one reason my grandpa never talked about it because once it became clear uh, through newsreels the uh, liberation of dachau of auschwitz people were horrified and then they didn't want to see it or talk about it anymore including jews so i think my grandfather thought oh my god i could have done more and then when he found out he'd lost relatives I think that just brought a lot of shame. And then the third thing is that he was U.S. born, and he was very affluent. He had it made. He could travel first class. He could, you know, you know. So, so I think that it just it, he just had. I think he's glad of what he did, but I think he definitely felt shame once it became known what the real losses were. Well, and it's and it's unfortunate because you know we look back on the story and we're like, that's twenty eight people. That's I mean, yeah, multiply that down the generations. I mean, if you put them all in a room, you'd fill you'd fill a couple of gymnasiums here in town. You know what I mean? It, it's 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 incredible. Um, it, it's hard, I think, for people nowadays to be in the shoes of of anyone finding out about the Holocaust back then. You know what I mean? Because we know we accept the Holocaust as a fact. We know what happened. And it's just something that we're taught in history class. It's a part of our it's a part of our history and a part of our life. Whereas at that time in history, and it says this in the documentary, the concept of people being marched into camps and killed just for the sake of being killed, it's it's unheard of. You know, we look at it from a modern perspective and we say, oh, yeah, it's like the Holocaust, but nothing like that existed before. Well, not, the, um, not to that scale, not to that scale and not to that. You know, it, it just um, when Hitler came to power in 1933, he had an immediate edict against jewish retailers and a lot of the german people said no screw it we've always shopped at this bakery we've always gone to this cleaner you know it didn't work that wasn't top of mind at the beginning of the third reich but with 
the perceived success of the Polish invasion and the onslaughts, and they just thought, well, he could do no wrong. And if these people are em- enemies of the state, these dirty Jews that caused the war and caused all the in- inflation, you know, w- w- why not? Why not take them away? So I think that, um, you know, you can't. I think people would feel defeated if they knew how big this was. the The German the Germans first went to Russia and assassinated about a million Jews and they were the Eisengruppen and they were riflemen and they the German army said we're using too many bullets even the most anti-Semitic recruit gets freaked out by hearing you know their 500th victim begging um, so they started with the gas chambers in in transport trucks and it was only then that they realized the Dacon that dropping the pills in the shower rooms would kill the most people for the least cost um to the to the third reich so it it, in the beginning jews did hear about concentration camps and what they were for in the beginning is as germany recruited more and more young men there were fewer and fewer workers in factories and mines so the thought was well the jews are kind of enslaved and they're going to be the workers and again Older Jews would say, we've been through this before. Let's just put up with it. It'll eventually. Um, so that was it was referred often, even in the United States, as work camps. So the idea that there was this sophisticated extermination machine, it came, you know, late in the war, 44, 45. And um, people just couldn't wrap their minds around it. My mom had no idea. Yeah. And it, it just, um, it, you know, it, she... <laughs> It's kind of funny, you know, the child of a Holocaust rescuer, but he didn't want her to know. And she did see when she was in her 20s, this movie called Night and Fog, which was very graphic. And she called him. Why didn't you tell me? And he said, well, I always figured you'd find out. And, and now you have. Um, so I still think right now there's a lot of ignorance about the Holocaust. There are Holocaust deniers um, with the advent of web and social media. There's even more. And people don't check for facts so my fear is younger people that may not have heard about the holocaust or slept through that segment in middle school or high school will believe you know these these yeah. claims that that it didn't happen well because we're running up on time here and I, i've got so many questions that i want to ask um through the process of telling this story obviously in the documentary you've done a couple of media interviews leading up to this one mm-hmm. how have you felt telling the story has it been has it been therapeutic is it is it a is it a moment of sense of pride for the family you know what what are your feelings and getting a chance to get the story out there i'm relieved um i think i've always thought it was an important story and i think now people need to know there were community heroes in their midst that maybe weren't a superstar um uh, or an amazing huge relief agency or a, or a mega church that there are there are heroes all the time and past and present we should be aware of them and if you can be inspired by this story that's great um but i am relieved that it's told i am um proud that my grandfather and my great-grandfather stuck with it Uh, my great-grandfather died in 1942 so for the last four years of this effort it was just my grandpa and some lawyers and a few people from goshen certainly did help relocate these families but it was all him and he was a business owner with two little kids and you know Mm -hmm. yeah 
it's a lot it's, that that that's a lot to take on um I think it's an amazing story. I think if uh, when the documentary is out and people can get a chance to watch it, you are going to inevitably draw some parallels to things that are happening in this world currently. I don't think there's any way oh, any way around that. Um, that's a conversation for a different show. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are, uh, like I said, we're running up on time. But I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. It is it is amazing. I'm I I I I. I I suppose it's it's not that I'm I'm glad that it's coming out now. It should have come out years ago. Same way that you feel about it, but I'm glad that we're getting a chance to to see how a small town, Goshen, Indiana, a population of what probably fifteen thousand people at that time. Yeah, it was about twelve thousand. Yeah, could could make such a small big difference in the world, and I think it's incredible. And I and I appreciate it. Thank you. When when are people going to be able to uh, get a chance to view this? Um, if you go to Five Core Media, and they'll just you can go to films, and we're going to have a schedule. It'll probably not be up until beginning of May, but we will show it again at the Goshen Theater. We are going to show it at the Jewish Federation in. November and there will be one Elkhart screening, but I'm not sure where that will be. But okay. Five Core will have that when when that stuff comes out. We'll catch up with you again. Make sure we get all okay. the information out there. So, Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate the time and uh, you know, good luck because I know you're a busy guy outside of this. Because <laughs> thank you, you've got a little bit going on downtown Elkhart, and I appreciate it as always. So, that is it for us on the beat for uh, our interview with Steve. We've got uh, one more to finish things out here on this Thursday, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes on the beat on the Heart 1340 AM, 1019 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.